0: Hey listeners, I'm Adam, and this is Can I Ask You a Question, a podcast where anyone is welcome to join me for an episode to share their thoughts on a topic of their choice. I'm looking forward to hearing new opinions and perspectives, and hopefully becoming a bit more open-minded along the way. If you're interested in joining me for a future episode, feel free to check out the sign-up link in this episode's description. This episode is brought to you by the Everyday App. Technically, this is an ad, but the Everyday app has honestly been super helpful for me, and I wouldn't partner with a company if I didn't genuinely believe in the product. So, what does the app do? It basically helps you track your habits so that you can see your progress over time. There's a common business saying, what gets measured gets managed. Like I said, it usually applies to businesses, keeping track of things like their sales and customer satisfaction, but I think it's just as relevant for personal goals too. It sounds like a simple concept for an app, but I've personally found it to be super effective in helping create new habits. The app lets you add whatever habits you're currently working on building. For me right now, some of those include reviewing my to-do list each day uh, so that I stay on top of the things I want to get done. Another one is going to the gym, and another one is limiting my time on Twitter to five minutes a day. The app lets you add three habits for free so you can see if you find it helpful. If you soon realize you want to track more than three habits like I eventually did, the paid version lets you track unlimited habits and has other cool features, and it's pretty good value in my opinion. There's a link in the episode description that gets you 10% off. All right, let's jump into today's conversation. Hey. Oh, I can't hear you yet. Can you hear me?
1: Yes, I can hear you. Oh, I How's can hear that? you now. Yeah, that's good. Okay, sweet. You got. Oh, a, yeah, I got my it,
0: microphone set up. <laughs> nice, and you got a nice beard that's come in since I've last yeah. seen you.
1: Started growing it the day COVID started. Or <laughs> the day we, the day I started working from home, I guess.
0: Are you Are you gonna Are you thinking of growing it until
1: you get back in the office? Um. Yeah, that's the plan, more or less. Nice so we'll see how that goes
0: nice well nice to nice to chat uh i think the last time we chatted i think was the the think better uh workshop that was planned and then i think it was just when covid kind of first hit and everyone s- stopped going out as much so I think yeah. that's the last time we chatted
1: yeah yeah what a weird time feels like a long time <laughs> ago how have you been Pretty good, pretty good, enjoying life like the the pace doesn't stop, yeah, it's like it's like certain elements have calmed down, which lets like the more important things take more like space, right. How about with you
0: yeah i feel I feel the same, uh, I think for me, maybe it feels like things have calmed down a bit. Um, but I know you've been really involved in and in coronavirus that initiative, which seems like that would be time consuming.
1: I've actually slowed down my involvement with them. Okay. Um, it's funny my involvement with different organizations seems to be like it's like every th- single step that I make makes logical sense, and only and I could only be where I am now because I've made those steps. What do like, you What do you mean by that? Like, end coronavirus led me to, like, interacting with a bunch of complexity wizards. And then from there, I went and started partaking in this ecosystem called Team Earth, which led me to an ecosystem called uh, Dig Life Collective or Digital Life Collective, which is, like, very big into the co-op space. So I was starting to think about alternative forms of organizations and that led me to thinking more about nonprofits. And now I'm in conversations with like the post-growth Institute talking about how potentially one of the things that we need to do to get onto like the new platform is to go to a non like not-for-profit um, ecosystem instead of a for-profit ecosystem. Cool. Which is like our conversation today.
0: Yes. No, I'm excited to, to chat with you about the blog post you wrote but you just you just name-dropped a bunch of different things that I'm not familiar with. So like w- Complexity Wizards, Team Earth, uh, a couple other things. Can you, do you mind, just for myself, just giving like a synopsis of what those things are? I'm just curious.
1: Yeah, definitely. So End Coronavirus, the thing that was exciting about that was that it was a decentralized organization working to tackle a very complex problem like this requires coordination from uh, like globally. It requires coordination at multiple levels of supply chain. Um, There's so many interconnected pieces. And of course we're tackling a virus that is challenging in a different in it's challenging on so many different levels from a political level. It's challenging from a fact that the virus itself is evolving. So that was sort of like that experience. And so a whole bunch of people were attracted to that organization that were very strong in complexity theory. And it's funny because the first thing that a complexity wizard, as I refer to them does is they identify the leverage points within the organization, the spots where small changes here and there will result in larger changes in the system. And so a bunch of these wizards were starting to find each other because they would end up in the same parts of the organization because, oh, the, the leverage right here right now is in onboarding volunteers. We don't do a good job of it. The inflow of volunteers is greatly outpacing the, um, our ability to actually place them into meaningful positions. So if we can fix this particular process, it means the entire or- organism will just do like, so much better. So I came across a whole bunch of wizards there. So these are and like
0: internal consultant type people. Like that's how, is that fair to say or is it
1: different? There's a whole bunch of different types of complexity wizards. Okay. So everything from like network weavers who would basically understand the entire network of, of people and, and connect different nodes in the network so that the overall organism would actually understand things better. Like it improves the sense making capacity of the organization.
0: Okay, so you're to have that different like- kind of specialties. Okay.
1: Yeah. So uh, one one of the wizards went and was working on this thing that basically took End Coronavirus, but went one level meta. And she started building a map of various organizations that were trying to work on fighting coronavirus. So that that project was called Team Earth, and a bunch of the top notch people within End Coronavirus were like, okay, yes. I understand you've just gone meta on the whole organization and that's actually the level that we should be playing at right now. So a bunch of like really good talent went to help with that and is solving various problems at a meta level. Cool. Um, with the
0: idea that it's it's the problem's bigger than just end coronavirus like looking at it from as yeah. holistically so
1: cool. And coronavirus has like 3000 volunteers that are active maybe. Um to go meta level you're coordinating with end coronavirus and a whole bunch of other people. Yeah. So, and, and what is the infrastructure and networks that we're building right now? That's actually going to play an even larger role um, after coronavirus is done.
0: Got it. Okay. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm curious. I think this journey is interesting. Like how you got to this blog post around maybe, maybe we can live in a world without for-profits so okay, the next step from team Earth
1: was how did you <laughs> how did you get to the writing the blog post So the next step over there would be over to this arena called the Dig Life Collective or the digital Life Co-op um, which is a collection of companies that all operate in a sort of cooperative way that are starting to form their own self aware ecosystem um I forget what their tagline is, but it's something about like, um, technology we can trust or something like that. Like there's like Mattermost, which is a, um, Slack alternative that is open source. So people can see into this. So it's a whole bunch of organizations that are value aligned that are working together and actually like, in a sense, operate like a larger organism, like a corporation with a bunch of different departments. You could kind of think of it that way. Um, and so that got me really interested in co-ops as a space. What does it mean where all of the organizations here are able to collaborate because they're all mission aligned? And does an ecosystem like this is this able to outcompete for profits who are necess- by necessity not able to collaborate as well as all of these places that are their their purpose is cooperation and like mission versus in the for-profit space. Each organization is sort of like every man for himself, trying to make as much profit as possible for their shareholders.
0: Got it. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, the I liked a lot of a lot of the stuff you wrote. Um, one of the things that resonated, which is, like, I guess when you say it out loud, very simple. But one of the ways you identify that nonprofits could outcompete for profits is just that for-profits need to tack on profit on any product or service. So if something costs $10 to deliver, the for-profit needs to sell it for more than $10 while the nonprofit can sell it for $10 and just has an edge there, which it's simple, but it makes a lot of sense. Um, and am I right in in understanding it that you think the main reason that uh, we have the main reason we don't have entirely nonprofits today is that you think that um, measurement has been the main challenge with nonprofits versus for profits. is that fair to say or are there are there other
1: um, ch- main challenges mm-hmm. I'd say my thinking before yesterday was that it it seems that our current platform of humanity is based on on, or at least our cultural norms seem to suggest that most people should be chasing money. Try to get as much money as possible, make yourself financially secure. And so if you have a society based on individuals that are seeking personal profit, once you put a group of individuals together who are also seeking profit, you end up with the current capitalist society. Um for me, it was something around the shift needs to be people should connect to what it is that drives them. Like what is your purpose in life? And if you have most of society operating on a purpose level where say our basic needs are met and I don't need to make a salary of 200,000 for me to have $10 million to buy as much stuff as I want is not actually my goal in life. I want to make the world a better place. I want to protect the future generations of humanity. Um, I thought we needed a societal shift to get to this other part so that we would tend to emerge organizations that were more purpose-driven. Since writing the blog post, though, um, a couple of people have reached out to me. I don't know how they found the post, um, but they were interested in having conversations with me because there's a whole school of thought that's actually like in the same vein as what I'm thinking about. And so they've actually corrected my blog post um, in a bunch of different ways. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. It's, it's really cool. So I'm hoping to share some of that thinking with you today.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, where, where would you like to start?
1: So let's start with what's wrong with our current system. Okay. Um, right now, we can think of the current capitalist society as being extractive in nature. So the profit being that part that is extracted from any cycle. So if I'm running a company, you can, picture, you can picture a cycle where I'm producing a good and service, I'm selling that to a customer, I'm getting revenue. Part of that preven- revenue is profit, which will actually get extracted out of the company and, and go towards some sort of private individual or group of individuals. And then whatever is left from that goes to improving the business such that we can now make a better product or service that is even more valuable to customers. And and that's the cycle. The thing is, is that this is not a closed loop because you have this extractive process. So what is happening with the money that's getting extracted? Well, it's going to the individuals that are good at basically extracting value. And so in this type of system, the wealth accumulates to these people. Maybe I'm really, really good at this and I extract $10 million out of all of the things that I do. I've provided a ton of value to society, but I've also taken $10 million of value out of that and it's now mine. I die. My kids inherit this. They use that value because the more wealth you have, there's a lot of other feedback loops that say, I can now make even more bets. And if if everybody's wealth is growing at 5%, if I have 10 million right now, I'm going to way out compete somebody who's born into nothing. So the the engine of our current society with its extractive properties means that the wealth is accumulating in particular places and not in others. It's not circulating. Like imagine if we we were a body and like we had an extractive mechanism, which is just like our blood will just like continue to go like out. You... Actually, that's an interesting example, because you could continue to eat and continue to extract amounts of blood from yourself into this other place. But you actually need to continue eating, Um, which is like our current society is actually running off of extracting resources from the earth, which is a finite thing. So if you're given finite resources and you have this extractive quality, um, it's going to collapse like it cannot go forever. It's not sustainable.
0: So maybe I don't think I've fully wrapped my head around everything you just said, but in the analogy you gave, like, are you implying that because you're leaking <laughs> blood, you're going to, you're going to consume and eat more than you need to. And that's the, that's what you're talking about in terms of us kind of, uh, over consuming or
1: no, uh, maybe not. I think the analogy falls down a little bit right there. Okay. But I'll point, I'll point to the next step in this equation as well, which is that right now, like how do we get money? I think I was just reading, I think 97% of the money that exists um, is actually created from somebody else borrowing. Like there's a one-to-one in terms of debt to money created. And so, For all of the money that is growing, as our GDP grows, it's actually banks creating money because what they'll do is they'll loan money to someone, which creates a debt, but it also creates more money in the system. So 90% of the money supply is, 97% of the money supply is actually, could be wiped out if you like collapsed all of the debt with all of the money that exists. So as the stock market continues to grow and people keep making more and more money, which keep in mind is being extracted and put into the hands of a very few amount of people. The debt is also growing at an equivalent rate and the debt is accumulating in different parts of our society. So it's a, it's accumulating to the people that owe mortgages or it's accumulating to the businesses that are actually unsuccessful. And so you've got inequality being driven at both ends with the current cycle. So with each spin of the capitalist wheel, more of the money goes to certain people and more of the debt accrues at the bottom. And that is really scary for society. That's the kind of thing that leads to collapse. So that's the thing that we need to solve for, which is how do we actually get the money supply to be circulating through all different parts of the economy? And that's where not-for-profits come in.
0: So let's say you only had nonprofits. Uh, Employees of the nonprofits still get a salary. Um, and as far as I understand, there's no rules around like how much someone can get paid. I guess my question is, um, can, could you still have the same kind of greed exist in a nonprofit organization?
1: Yes, you could. It's just far less likely to happen because
0: why is it less likely?
1: So, so let me give you the definition of nonprofit that I'm that I'm working with. Okay, um, which would be a purpose driven, um, a purpose driven company where no individual can profit from it. Like take IKEA, IKEA is a not for profit. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. Really? There it's insane the number of organizations that are not for profits. Like it's actually a growing number of GDP. Like as a percentage of GDP, not for profits are growing at double the rate of for-profits. Wow. Well that's great. That's great to see. The the most six the most the wealthiest company in the world was a not-for-profit until recently, which is um some Saudi oil company. No individual could profit off of that Saudi oil company. It was actually government-owned. Or the profits would go to the government who would then put it back into like paying for social services, which was the sort of like foundation that like had a purpose. So it can be some sort of company that is owned by a foundation. As long as the foundation does not exist to serve a particular person, um, as long as they are purpose-driven, they can create as much profit as they want, but the profit all has to go back into the purpose, aka back into the cycle. It cannot be extracted from the cycle. Okay. So that's uh, Ikea. The person who created Ikea was purpose-driven. It's actually Ikea is owned by a foundation, or like 90-something percent is owned by a foundation. So all of the profit that Ikea makes goes into this foundation, which now can only spend that money to further its own purpose.
0: Okay. Um, so I'm just trying to think about how wealth can still accumulate through salaries, and in, an, in a not-for-profit, if someone it has a lot of expertise and adds a lot of value, it might still make sense to pay them absorbent amounts of money. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to wrap my head around, like, do, do non for profits um, solve some of the issues you highlighted around kind of greed and growing inequality and stuff like that.
1: I still don't have all the gears fully worked out. <laughs> like i wrote that post mainly off of like my own thinking and then in having more further conversations it's really helping me to like get some more gears but it's still not fully fleshed out in my mind um i i would point to the fact that like the main the thing that causes people to become rich is through investment most people like even if you're looking at the ceo salaries most of their actual benefits is through through um through options and through, through share, share uh, appreciation. Um, So yeah, you could have certain individuals that are taking really like, you could have certain individuals that are paid really high salaries, but then look at their kids, their kids can't just take this like mountain of wealth and like turn that into more money. They would actually have to do a thing with their labor to actually provide value that somebody else would have to value. That's a good point.
0: That's a good point. Cool. Uh, in terms of trust, tr- trust in in nonprofits versus for-profits, um, like, I don't know if, if government is considered a nonprofit,
1: but um, definitely not a for-profit. And I've seen... By my like, definition, yeah. They are, Yeah it's it's a perfect purpose driven enterprise so like they may charge for some services um and but all any like if a part of the government profits no individual gets wealthy that money goes back into the ecosystem so it keeps circulating
0: okay so i've seen some articles and and stuff suggesting that big business although not not entirely trustworthy all the time. Like some, uh, a lot of people trust big business more than government. Like what, how do you think about how trust might play in for profit versus nonprofit? Cause I would think intuitively a nonprofit would be more trustworthy, more aligned with my, my values uh, more focused on yeah. More purpose driven.
1: Yeah. I don't know. Like, I guess with a a not-for-profit, you could see their purpose. Um, And so if, like, trust is built into their values or something like that, like the entire co-op ecosystem of tech we trust, I would trust those guys. Like, there's many different elements of trust, but I think I would trust those more than certain for-profits. Um. Yeah.
0: Yeah um i like personally i trust or at least i trust canadian government more than than big business um but i guess it depends on on which country you live in and 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 stuff like that um i'm I'm actually just gonna run to the washroom really quick i drank a ton of water before this (laughs) it's not a good call i'll be right back
1: sorry no worries
0: have investors and, um, expectations to continue to grow. And maybe that's where you could run into trouble. And then you, you start producing things that people don't need or something like that. And I was just trying to think through, would that issue not exist in a nonprofit or could you have a similar thing where, you know, just cause the nonprofit reaches their goal, a lot of people are employed there. They don't want to lose their job and find, find new work. Um, Anyways, I don't, have it, I don't have it figured out exactly in my head, but any, any thoughts related to that or any other directions you want to go?
1: So, like, you can sort of think of different organizations on a, on a bit of a continuum um, from, say, like, the Milton Freeman like, uh, the only purpose of business is, to pro- is profit. Um, so, like, any company that is publicly traded, like, what do the shareholders want? Well, if I'm buying the stocks in this company, it's because I think it's going to make me money. And it's actually like quite pure in that sense. There's also like consider corporations with like a triple bottom line where they are trying to also provide other value or there's B corporations. You've also got cor- uh, like co-ops and like the co-op ecosystem is where the employees, well, there's a couple different types of co-op, but like say an employee owned co-op. Um, the, the better that the company does in the co-op, the more the the more benefits actually accrue to the employees that work there. So there's not a third person who's extracting the value, but all of the employees are still extracting more value. If they double their revenue or they double their profit, that goes to all the employees, which is great. Now, a not a not-for-profit would actually what actually happens is that their purpose is everything to them, so they would. They might have a board of directors, and at their at their shareholder meet or not shareholder meetings, but at their board meetings, they basically say, "How well is this company doing towards these objectives towards our purpose?" Um, so it's a little bit more pure on the like purpose side, and nobody is even trying to profit. That being said, like a lot of what we think about when we talk about nonprofits would be charities, where they get all of their money. It's like rich people, philanthropy, they give it to this thing to do a purpose, but that's actually not how most of these things, uh, most of the not-for-profits are operating right now. Um, so if you look at the whole like spectrum of these not-for-profits as I've sort of defined it, about 53% of all of their revenue is actually self-generated coming from fees or selling a service or a good, um, 35% 35% of that actually comes from the government uh, in terms of their re- like revenues or, or cash flows, and 12% comes from philanthropy. So just in terms of like the whole ecosystem of not-for-profits, it really actually does resemble the for-profit model um, more than I th- think the average person realizes.
0: Hmm. Why? Any, any thoughts on why there isn't like a nonprofit social media platform that's mainstream. Um, I'm trying to think of like, and maybe, well, the fact that I didn't know Ikea was a not-for-profit, maybe I'm missing a bunch, but like the only kind of tech-related not-for-profits that come to, like Wikipedia comes to mind for me. Yeah. Um, Mozilla. Yeah.
1: Firefox. Yep.
0: Yeah. Um, and I guess there's like DuckDuckGo, but not that commonly used. Um so yeah, curious, curious your thoughts on on why we all use Google search and not DuckDuckGo. When to me like there's some clear benefits associated with having like using a product that's a not-for-profit.
1: Yeah. Well, if 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 you graduate right now or you think about going to like Y Combinator and seeking out seed funding, what is the typical career path or for somebody wanting to start a business, what is it that you consider? I think a lot of people don't even consider nonprofits right now. And like, part of that goes back to me pointing at the thing that's like our society, our source code is like, well, get rich or die trying. I don't know if you listen to hip hop music, like, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, I think, I think one of the things that's giving me hope about thinking about this is that, if pressed i think a lot of economists and a lot of people in the world realize that our current economy and capitalist society is actually unsustainable and they can tell that we're driving ourselves towards a cliff we are headed towards collapse but we don't have an alternative narrative it's not like you go to university and and your business prof is like oh yeah also Nonprofits have all of the same benefits of these other things, but also they have happier employees. They tend to do a more sustainable job of things. You can also, here's how nonprofits raise money because like maybe you're not trying to seek out investment, but you can actually seek out bonds. There's impact investors. There's all these other ways of raising capital. It should be about as easy to start a nonprofit as it is to start a for-profit. And it should give you so much more freedom if what you're really trying to do is change the world. And so with the Post-Growth Institute, I don't know exactly what their strategy is, but I believe it has something to do with pointing out the, f- not necess- not even pointing out the flaws of the current system, because I think most people understand that if they think deeply about it, the extractive nature of our current society. But it's actually just highlighting the fact that the alternative narrative is actually running. It's actually growing. And like, just even pointing at all of the different business models, like the Green Bay Packers are a not-for-profit, Bosch, which is like one of the most successful like appliance companies, not-for-profit, IKEA, like you keep pointing at all of these things and you're like, yeah, like it's crazy. Um, the entire Welsh uh, water supply was run by, a for- run by a for-profit in the U.S., the Welsh people actually created a foundation that bought out that not that for profit by a foundation that was not for profit. They financed the whole thing through bonds. And people were like, yeah, I'll, I'll loan you the money so that you can do this thing because it's, it fits my purpose. If you look at like the share of income invest or um, impact investment, it's, it's like the growth rate, I think, uh, I can't even give you a number, but I did the research before and it was like much higher than like the growth for just like philanthropy in general. Um, The world is changing. And I think the thing that we need to do is accelerate the rate of growth to this new ecosystem, which solves most of the problems. It's just, it's a race between can we publicize this new economy fast enough that we can make the transition before we actually hit the collapse that is sort of coming.
0: So can can you help me understand how in your eyes not nonprofits help lead to a more sustainable world with less overconsumption? Because I'm just trying to think. And I'm thinking that even in a world with all nonprofits, um, like could you not see the same kind of population growth, um, and the same demand for like for instance, um, I know that like air air travel produces a lot of um c o two emissions people like I would think that under a non profit people still want to travel people still want like heat in their home, so I'm just trying to wrap my head around like how does it create a more sustainable world mm-hmm.
1: I'd like to explore that one with you actually. I don't have the gears here
0: okay, I think yeah, no worries
1: yeah, like one of the things that i I've been pointed to is like if you look at the evidence, em- employees in non- not-for-profits make more on average than those at for-profits. Not-for-profits tend to be much more sustainable than for-profits. Like in terms of like one of the things that Bosch said was because we are not-for-profit, we actually have invested so much more into our R&D on sustainability for each of our like appliances than our competitors have um, because that's one of the things that we value. And if you have companies that all have purposes, I I assume people's purposes are pro-social. How does that change the world? Um, Something about like negative externalities of for profits. If you're just seeking profit, you don't care about the negative externalities but if you're a not-for-profit, you would care about them? Or something like that might be baked into your purpose, which means that you would consider it more? I don't know. What do you think?
0: Yeah, it's. I'm trying to think. So let's say we take air travel as an example, maybe. And let's say we lived in a world that where nonprofits was the only, I guess, type of organization. For-profits didn't exist. And, you know, Boeing and these different companies are or assembling aircrafts, the goal, their purpose might be to help enable travel. Um, I'm trying to think how having it as a nonprofit leads to better outcomes in terms of quicker transition to renewable sources of energy and stuff like that for their aircrafts. I, I, I don't have it figured out. I'm trying to think about, like, how, what's, what's the difference?
1: And I don't, I don't even imagine that the airline industry would look that much different, actually. Uh, like, in the first part, the airline industry isn't very profitable. Most airlines actually don't make profit.
0: But maybe whatever profits are made today are going, like you said, they're getting extracted as opposed to maybe that money could have been used to invest in R&D towards renewable energy? Like, d- does it get you to a world? I'm just trying to think. If, if you don't have profit being extracted, do you, get, do you get to a world with renewable energy quicker?
1: Well, I'm imagining that a bunch of these companies would actually be competing on different purposes. So maybe one would be to enable inexpensive travel for the most number of people. In which case, maybe they'll just go with whatever's cheapest. But because they're not extracting the profit, they're going to be able to be pretty cheap. Maybe another one says sustainable travel or something like that. And that would actually be preferred by all of the people that are like, actually, sustainability matters to me. And if it turns out that humanity values sustainable travel over cheap travel or larger swaths, it would be enough to sustain that other not-for-profit.
0: Hmm. So... I'm just trying to think Uh, like one thing that came to mind is like that to me that can exist in for profits too. Um, I don't know enough about the airline industry, but like clothing comes to mind where uh, to your point for people who want super inexpensive clothing and don't care as much about the environment, you can go shop at Walmart or you could buy uh, more expensive clothing bands that to your point, their purpose, they're more, even though they're for profit, they value um, sustainability more, um, so maybe maybe it could still exist in for-profit, but it's it's better aligned in nonprofit. And I guess the data point you had speak speaks for itself in that you said that the data shows that nonprofits are more sustainable.
1: Yeah, and and I guess the other thing would be look at like what would happen if we considered the second-order effects of less inequality in society. Where instead of just Jeff Bezos becoming, what is he, a billionaire? I don't know. Yeah, he's got, he's got
0: over $100 billion, I think.
1: Okay, instead of Jeff Bezos having $100 billion, and realizing that the fact that Jeff Bezos has $100 billion means that $100 billion of debt exists somewhere else in the system, accumulating in the poor people. So these poor people are having shitty life outcomes, they're taking shitty jobs, their health, their health outcomes are bad, are worse. And they are incentivized to buy the cheapest travel, to buy the cheapest clothing, because they cannot care about having better like ecological or like living wages elsewhere in the world, because they're forced that way because of the inequality. So if Jeff Bezos and the debt at the bottom come together and get wiped out. Okay, people at the bottom now have more money, and you just like replicate that over and over again because that's the new cycle. The money stays in the overall like circulating through people instead of accumulating in certain individuals. Might human? Might our values change? Do you what, mind? What are the second orders? Yeah.
0: Do you mind uh, trying to walk me through that the bank example again, um, just so I wrap my head around it, um, so that I understand how his hundred billion dollars. Uh, results in a hundred billion dollars of debt.
1: Sure. So, so let's pretend there's like TD Bank over to the, there in the corner, and I want to, I want to get a house. So the bank's like, okay, here's, here's like, a hundred thousand, yeah, a million dollars, so you can buy your house, Orion. Now I owe the bank a I owe the bank a million dollars and they've created uh, and I, so I have a debt of a hundred million dollars, but I've also just paid a hundred million dollars to someone who's just sold me the house. So now somebody else in the economy is like a million dollars richer and I have a million dollars of debt
0: and, and that a, transaction it, can occur did, without
1: any money. Right. Happening. The, bank, the bank doesn't they need money.
0: Have that money. They're, they're yeah. loaning out more money than they actually own.
1: Yeah. Okay. And that's what apparently 97% of all the money in the world is just that. Because now that million dollars is in circulation. And now that million dollars, that guy can go and buy some stocks, which now a company has some stuff, or they can go do some other stuff. But yeah, it's a million dollars that didn't exist. And now if there's a hundred of me, that's a hundred million of dollars that's just created out of nothing. hundred million dollars of debt created, a hundred million dollars that is now circulating in the economy. So... Where does that money end up? Well, that money that we've just created in today's system, it accumulates in the richest people who basically control all of the corporations.
0: Okay. I think I got it. it. The part, the part I um, don't entirely understand is like how it works. Like how does it work that 97% of money is, is artificial in a sense? Like how do we just manufacture the money? Like how does the system work? I don't. Fully understand, and I went to business school, (laughs) so I don't know how the average person is supposed to understand it. Maybe that's the point.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and 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 what happens when the U.S. government just prints three trillion dollars? Because I don't imagine that they created three trillion dollars of debt. So, like, did that ninety-seven percent after the U.S. government just did that? Like, did that just become like ninety-five (laughs) percent? I I have no idea.
0: I don't know so I think the the question that I had on on kind of my list of questions was like, should I start a non profit or for profit and i was I think I wrote that down as I was maybe thinking about like okay if i if the next thing if I do start something, like how should I make that decision? So you started think better, you made it a non profit did you consider making it a for profit um, if not, are there any?" Are there any scenarios today that you think, like, if you were to start something, it would still make sense to make it a for-profit? Or to you, is the answer always a non-profit?
1: Based on what I've seen, I actually cannot justify starting a for-profit. Like, I could get access to capital in a not-for-profit just as easy as I could as a, as a for-profit. Um, everything I want to do in the world has purpose behind it. And like, I come from a place of privilege. I actually, I don't need more money per se. I don't need to make, and like one of the things about a for-profit is that you have unlimited amounts of money that you can make at the top. So I could start a, I could start a not-for-profit and pay myself a million dollar salary if I wanted to. That's cool. But eventually I'm gonna, like if my, if my entity becomes large enough and I'm coordinating with enough people, other people who joined because of this purpose would be like, well, Narayan, you don't really need a million dollar salary. Like what's the purpose of that? And does my, does my salary scale with the amount of money that my company makes? Well, that seems kind of weird. And like, I could run it that way. I I wouldn't. And, and, and a large part of that becomes like, if I incorporate as a not-for-profit, I would actually have a board of directors that, are basically on the board and their job is to steward this organization and they could kick me out of the CEO position if they don't think that I am actually like doing a good job at stewarding the mission of this not-for-profit. So if I'm the kind of person who's like, well, my job is to extract as much money out of this thing as possible, I would actually just set up a for-profit. Yeah. I don't know. I guess the question for you is like, do you want to have unlimited upside in terms of your growth potential? Like, do you want to eventually like have people that are making a lot of money off of this thing that you've created or is creating the thing enough?
0: Yeah, I think, but like for me, it's creating the thing, but I would think that I would think that's for everyone. Like um, I would think for everyone, like the goal is is they want to create something that's, that's impactful in a good way. Um, what was I going to say? I'm trying to think about like some of the perceived issues with nonprofits. I know like government is often viewed as bureaucratic and there's like a stigma around working even in government. Like I've heard from like friends and stuff. Cause you know, just seems slow. Um, I'm just trying to, this is the first time I've thought about this, but like, is that, is that slow, slow pace actually in any ways a good thing? Like, I know we've talked about how like the pace at which we're going maybe is, or the direction we're going is, you know, it's not sustainable. I'm wondering like, is there, is there, is there any good in in that maybe things are slower or?
1: Government is its own beast. Who is the government accountable for? Two.
0: It's, it's people, right?
1: Yeah, but there's, like, so much, like, lack of transparency that it feels difficult for an individual person to hold the government accountable in particular ways. And I think maybe our society does improve government by holding it accountable.
0: Through voting, right? Yeah. Could be, like, the main way, elections.
1: Yeah. But, like, if you consider the difference between, like, picture two corporations that actually, like, look the same. They have this, like, they look the same in most aspects, except that one has a board of directors that represents shareholders that basically want to get paid. The other has a board of directors that holds the purpose to the highest value. Put me on that board. Like I will not let your company like do inefficient things. I will not tolerate bureaucracy to the point beyond its usefulness. And these two companies, I imagine they could be equally efficient because your board of directors could be equally as successful or like, Good at what they do, which is motivating the company to fulfill its purpose. Is the purpose profit, or is the purpose something else?
0: What? How do you think about choosing between DuckDuckGo and Google Search, or like, do you think we have any obligation or duty uh, as consumers to try to use the nonprofit? Like, is that a healthy way to think have you thought about that
1: (laughs) (laughs) i haven't really because i like i didn't even realize that this was like a linchpin of like the the new world and stuff like i've been listening to like game b arguments and trying to figure out what does this new platform for society look like and all of that and i'm still i i'm still not 100 percent I'm still not even close to like believing that changing everything to not-for-profits is the thing that's going to solve our problems. But there's a huge body of research that the Post-Growth Institute has put out. And now I'm going to go through that because it's right now it's the best thing that I've, it's the most plausible thing that I've seen to actually the thing that could transform the world. So I'm going to be doing my due diligence. I'm going to hopefully put those arguments in front of the effective altruism community, get those bright minds to vet it. I'm going to throw it at the rationalists. And I know there's a whole bunch of economically minded rationalists. They're going to vet the heck out of that thing. And if it seems plausible, like give it, give it two years. There could be a huge movement of people basically looking at the thing, which is like, Oh, we already have a part of our society that is working. It's growing and it just needs to outcompete the existing economy at a fast enough pitch. In which case, if that, if all of those things are, are true, then I would actually place a premium on supporting a not-for-profit over a for-profit. I would prefer to buy IKEA over a for-profit. I don't know. That feels weird to say. I don't know if I would do that.
0: <laughs> For me, I do think... And there's case by case situations, but my gut says on aggregate, I trust nonprofits more than for profits. Maybe that's different for different people. Uh, I'm going to do more thinking around that and some of the reasons why, why people may trust for profits more than nonprofits. Like, should we trust nonprofits more than for profits? One question I was going to ask is you mentioned that nonprofits as a percentage of GDP is increasing, which is awesome. Why any, any ideas why that's the case yet income inequality is still increasing? Like we've talked about how for-profit might be one of the contributing factors for increasing inequality. Any idea why I would think that if nonprofits are increasing as a percentage of GDP income inequality might decrease.
1: So any extractive process is going to generate income inequality. So even if you get to the point where seventy-five percent of of the economy is operating in the closed loop, not-for-profit kind of economy, you still got that twenty-five percent that is taking money out of it. Got it. Got it. Okay, that yeah. makes
0: sense. I'm like, gonna... what,
1: would the, what would the world look like if we had one hundred percent nonprofits, where no individual is like extracting obscene amounts? the The value that you're providing here is is fully correspondent to like your amount of value that you're putting into it and everything is purpose driven that's that's what i'm like thinking about and it's going to take years but it'll be <laughs>
0: interesting <laughs> i'm definitely going to look into post growth institute i haven't heard of it any other uh resources or like readings or podcasts or anything you'd recommend that will help me like what are you going to do to think more about this?
1: So part of what I've been doing over the last, like since COVID is looking into mapping and trying to map different ecosystems. I've been mapping the entire think better ecosystem as well. I can share that with you sometime, Thanks. but one of the maps that I found is put on by this organization called the real economy lab. Um, or there's also a, a movement called new economy of which post growth Institute is a part, but Back in 2016, they've mapped over 100 organizations that have various pieces of this new economy, and they are coordinating. When I talked to the Post Growth Institute, like the amount of people and other organizations in that economy that they were currently collaborating with was massive. Like I was, I was floored. I was like, "Oh, okay, right, yeah." Ask me about how many, like, in my day job, like at a corporation, how many other companies do I collaborate with? Well, we've got suppliers and we've got yeah, we've got some suppliers that and like vendors that like give us things. But it's not really like collaborative. It's like transactional. But in this ecosystem, that is a growing ecosystem, people are actually collaborating because they're all purpose driven and to the extent that people's purposes or organizations' purposes overlap, they can share resources. They can like offer each other help in whatever way they can. And the fact that this thing has been mapped out and is growing is like, it's so cool. There's things from like grassroots, like initiatives called like the transition network, which is people focusing on creating sustainable, like micro communities within cities to focus on the transition to the fully sustainable world. Um, There's like another organization called Seeds, which is working on a crypto solution that instead of like, like Bitcoin, which you, you can create Bitcoin by spending electricity. You're extracting resources from the world to create this money. It's an extractive crypto. There's Seeds, which is basically a crypto that you, you create more of it by providing actual value to the world. So it's like the inverse of Bitcoin. Bitcoin uses value to create money. This one creates money by providing value. It's just like, that's a part of the ecosystem. You connect enough of these dots and you actually have a working platform that I don't know if it's going to be game B, but it's going to be that like new world. And so this whole network is in the process of becoming self-aware, realizing itself and being able to actually coordinate. It's going to be cool because I don't think the capitalist society can necessarily coordinate to the extent and they don't even have any, like there's no, actually I'll just, I'll, I'll leave it there. Okay. Yeah.
0: Um, maybe it's just my nature that I like to play devil's advocate, but I'm trying to think through, um, if I'm bought in to the, to what I think you're saying is that nonprofits lead to more collaboration than for profits. And I'm just trying to think about, okay, what gets in the way of collaboration? I think competition is what's coming to mind. Um, and I'm just trying to think, does for-profits lead to more competition than non-profits? I can see how for-profits lead to competition um, in terms of you're trying to protect your, your profit, I guess. Um, I'm just trying to think if the same applies in the, in the case of non-profits. Um, although there's no profit. I'm just trying to think. You talked about maybe in an airline example, you could have one nonprofit focused on cheapest flights, another nonprofit focused on more sustainability. I'm wondering, like, is there is there still competition in the sense that, you know, like I work for a nonprofit, I don't want to lose my job, I want I want to ensure that my nonprofit continues to exist I'm, I'm just trying to think through as playing devil's advocate do the same issues still exist and if not what like why
1: well to the extent that purposes differ and, and conflict with each other I imagine that you would have competition between different purposes like if if, if you have a school that teaches judo and I have a school that teaches taekwondo and like, say our missions were narrow enough that I was like, my mission is to teach as many people Taekwondo as possible and you want to teach Judo, we are in competition. Uh, I guess some people could learn both. but But if we recapitulate our purposes as we want to teach as many people as possible how to defend themselves, and I just think that Taekwondo is a better way of defending yourself and you think Judo is a better way of defending yourself, we could actually meta-collaborate to have an arena of competition between our two schools. But the purpose of that arena of competition would be to determine which is the better method of self-defense. And maybe we end up discovering, well, Taekwondo has an advantage over Judo, but Judo has an advantage over Aikido, which has an advantage over Taekwondo. It's a rock, paper, scissors kind of thing. And as long as we're all meta-collaborating on trying to figure out what is the best way of self-defense, then that seems important. Or like that seems like we could cooperate, like it would be a platform of cooperation where we would have competition in service of of greater shared purpose. And I think that humanity, the more and more you go up in terms of levels of abstraction on purpose, the more and more we align. Like if in the end, how how many people are going to say, I actually prefer more people to be unhappy. No one's going to say that. So
0: okay cool yeah in the, in the, I'm just trying to think about the example you gave where you're trying to find the best type of best method of fighting um and you got people in this taekwondo versus judo nonprofits um and maybe each of them they're they operate like uh like teaching like schools classes where they're teaching people about these different techniques and to your point if the purpose if both of their purposes is to um help people with self defense or whatever then if one of them if one technique proves to be better than the other i'm just trying to think do do the people in the other camp all lose their job or do they all come over and join the other organization i'm just trying to think about like yeah the the main the main issue that comes to mind for for nonprofits and being scared to being scared to collaborate would be maybe losing losing my job. I don't know.
1: Well, and I guess what I would consider like we could even use that same example, which would be you say the general industry industry is like you need you need one instructor for every twenty students. If it proves out that judo is more effective, you you then need more judo instructors. Exactly. And so maybe the taekwondo people reskill or something.
0: Exactly. Like today. 50 people, 50 students are going to this Taekwondo studio. 50 are going to the judo. If judo proves itself to be better, you still have a hundred people looking for learning. They all just go to judo. Now you need more instructors. Maybe this example is too abstract, but yeah, I think it makes sense to me. Um,
1: well, and possibly like, what what are the stakes of losing your job? In today's unequal society the stakes are very high you don't want to be put into the quadrant of people who are like racked with debt and like barely getting by right. you want to be on the winners you want to be the person extracting because that's stability but if you have this fully circulating economy does that mean that the stakes of losing your job are actually much lower because there would be like i don't know maybe things are less expensive I- <laughs> I don't have gears here but like could th- like I imagine in a fully circular economy the, you'd be able to care for everyone and so the stakes of losing your particular job at a particular thing because that purpose society has deemed as no longer important you would have the stability because it seems like maybe it would be important for society to help you find something that then adds more value back into society because you're more valuable contributing than you are not contributing
0: huh Makes sense.
1: Super speculative. But I mean, if I lived in this world in this circular economy and I noticed that there was an issue with people losing their jobs and not being able to contribute anymore, I would create a thing that would help them contribute again. And that would be a valuable use for my, of my time. And I could start a nonprofit about that.
0: Cool. I know we're, I know we're at time. Um, any, anything you want to say in, in closing?
1: just like, thank you for your time. This is all so new to me. Um, I'm still not even bought into the arguments that I'm sort (laughs) of like portraying. Um, but I'm really excited about the potential that this discussion has. And this is possibly one of the earlier conversations on this topic. Like if this blows up in five years, we can say, can I ask you a question? You heard it here first.
0: Cool. Well, please, please send me the map that you did for think better. I, I, I haven't seen, I think, the type of map you're talking about, so I'm curious to see what it looks like and wrap yeah, my head around Yeah, I'll it. send that to you. All right. For Thanks. Sure. Thank you. We'll chat soon. Have a good one. Thanks, you too. Bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Can I Ask You a Question? If you liked this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you left a rating on iTunes or Google Podcasts or wherever you're listening from so that more people like you can discover it. Also, it'd be super helpful if you'd be willing to leave some feedback on any ideas you have for improving future conversations using the link in this episode's description. Thanks again and see you next time.